Welcome to our latest podcast series, the Reimagining Mobility podcast series. I'm here with Nathan. Nathan runs our certification group. And uh, Nathan, thanks for joining us. We're uh, working from home here today. My pleasure. I'm glad you can make it. So tell us a little bit, what do you do for AVL? What, what does certification really mean? So w- within AVL, my group is sort of a, a consultancy within a consultancy. We're a group of veteran engineers from the automotive segment who have been dealing with regulatory compliance, uh, standards development, and other areas of certification, uh, some of us for 50 years. I mean, I've been doing certification-related work uh, in the automotive space now for about 23 years. Uh, Our lead consultant, Dave Culp, he has been involved for easily 50 years. Hmm. Um, He was in charge of global compliance at Ford Motor Company for many years. Um, We have Larry Bush, who has worked at Ford and Cummins for many, many years in diagnostics and certification. The new addition to our group, Mike Reed, um, is also coming to us as a senior consultant, and he also has uh, 30 or 40 years of experience. And then our our sort of core group of engineers are Clarence Malenga. Uh, Dr. Malenga has a PhD in diesel combustion, and he has done many different roles within AVL. So he's a very well-rounded background in non-road and on-road diesel after treatment development and modeling. And now he's gaining experience from my group of seasoned veterans on the certification process. Dan Diebel similarly comes from a gasoline calibration background and anybody that does any internal combustion engine calibration always has compliance and certification first in their mind uh, right next to performance. And so he's bringing that sort of market experience to my group and we're working on a lot of heavy duty gasoline projects right now. Okay. Uh, Myself, I've been at AVL for a long time. Uh, I've been here about 11 years, and I've also served many different roles. I've run a test facility, so I'm steeped into test procedures and what regulatory requirements there are for doing any testing for for engines or vehicles. I've led uh, diesel and gasoline and alternate fuel projects throughout the years, and my primary role in the last five or six years has been the lead engineer for anything regarding regulatory compliance, certification, and of course, onboard diagnostics. So onboard diagnostics in the US market sort of dominates the internal combustion engine development cycle from a controls aspect. And so my group, most of the people in my group have long experience in the development and um, bringing systems in a compliant nature that have onboard diagnostics, bringing them to market. Mm-hmm. So you talk a lot about uh, the, the great history and background we have, and, and, and you alluded to already diesel and gasoline engines. Uh, we still do a lot in that in that space, as, as you just also reiterated, and, and clearly those type of uh, propulsion systems are nowhere near dead, as you sometimes maybe believe reading the news. But what about certification and, and compliance as it relates to, let's say, hybrids for sure? But EVs, fuel cells, other types of uh, propulsion systems, can you speak a little bit about that? Certainly. So combustion engines still dominate the automotive landscape um, from non-road 
construction equipment and, and agricultural equipment, of course, through to passenger cars, heavy duty trucks uh, of all shapes and sizes. There's still far and away more internal combustion engines on the road uh, than there are uh, fully electric or fuel cell powertrains. And what we're seeing in the last, let's say, five years is a shift to partial electrification. So that's leaving the combustion engine where it's at. Its primary role is for moving the implement or the vehicle down the road or on the construction site. But we're starting to see more and more hybridization, like you said. So electrification of the accessories, power steering pump, the water pump, the oil pump are all becoming electrified. But the internal combustion engine remains. And so you still have to meet all of the compliance metrics you otherwise would, even if the electric machines weren't on board. And in fact, electric machines complicate the way the internal combustion engine works in a given vehicle, um, such that the test procedures and how you would go about developing the systems for compliance actually get harder the more electrification you have. So if you think about a gasoline passenger car that has no amount of electrification engine, then you come with a, let's say, conventional hybrid where the, there's energy storage on board in the form of a battery, but there's no way to charge the battery other than through regenerative braking or the internal combustion engine. And then now we're starting to see more and more plug-in hybrids, which operate more or less the same as a conventional hybrid, but they have a much larger battery and they add the capability to add energy from the grid, charging from a charge station at the grocery store or at your house. Mm-hmm. But they all have internal combustion engines in them. And therefore, because it has a tailpipe and it does have emissions, you're beholden to the same emission regulations and the same diagnostic requirements that you otherwise would. Where things start to shift completely is when you remove the internal combustion engine altogether and you're left with a purely electric uh, electric powertrain. Suddenly there, your compliance metrics drop as far as as what you have to do, how much you have to do, and what you have to disclose to the agencies, because there's no tailpipe. Mm -hmm. No tailpipe, no tailpipe emissions, which means no onboard diagnostics. So it's, it's it's a paradigm shift from what we've been doing since the Clean Air Act, you know, in the early 1970s, to now, 50 years of very high compliance metrics and, and a lot of difficulties in bringing a product to market has, has really been a market impediment for everyone except the largest companies. I mean, we're dominated by three large manufacturers here in the United States. We have transplants from Japan and Korea that are operating now. Well, suddenly the barrier for entry, at least from a compliance standpoint, is much mm-hmm. more. That's an interesting and point. We're seeing an explosion, of course, in, in the availability of different vehicles. I mean, Tesla gets a lot of press, um, and we're starting to see Chinese manufacturers, uh, Vietnamese manufacturers are entering the market, mm-hmm. and they're starting in their home market to build the vehicle expertise. And now they're looking to move, of course, to um, you know one of the biggest markets in the world, which is the U.S. auto market. Yeah. So that's uh, it, it's a big deal. And for, for my group, that sounds like we're going to have less and less work. But as it turns out, the regulators are also changing. So California has just released, I believe, their final draft of their latest 
um, emissions and test procedure regulations called Advanced Clean Cars 2. Uh, it goes by other names. Sometimes it's called, it's called LEV4 or ZEV 2026 or everything else, but it's really called Advanced Clean Cars 2, which is a very comprehensive set of regulations involving new tailpipe limits for anything with a tailpipe. It also has standardization requirements for electric vehicles. So what this means is that California is seeing what the market has done in the last 10 years with, with respect to electric vehicles, especially in the passenger car market, and is now trying to reflect where industry has sort of settled on certain standards. And they want to further, mandate is a strong word, but they want to strongly have any new manufacturers that are deciding to enter the market now or in the near future to follow on the work that industry has done to work together to try to have some aspects of passenger car vehicles standardized. And this manifests itself in the, in the data that's available on board for uh, tracking. So Air Resources Board in California requires a lot of data to be available on board for their own uh, tracking purposes, and it allows them to gauge the efficacy of the regulations and their impact on clean air, especially in Southern California. And so when you are looking to enter the new market, so that's where my group would come in, is that's where things are going to start to get a little, I don't want to say harder, but there's going to be more involved in the product development side that's going to come from the regulations that, that's heretofore not be there for, for battery electric vehicles. Mm -hmm. And I think it's a wonderful opportunity for new manufacturers to enter the, the wild, wild world of passenger car development and, and get on board very quickly because we've done a lot of work with industry and the regulatory agencies to have standards available so you don't have to figure it all out on your own or be in the dark about what's going to be the right way to do things from a market standpoint, from a regulatory standpoint, we're moving towards some, some really great standardization. And that's part of what my group is, is doing is keeping track of all these developments and making sure that we have all the latest information available to our potential customers so that we can give them a sort of easy entry into the market, or at least as easy as we can make it for them. Sure. Sure. Now, in Europe, they start talking about, and I think there's some legislation already set for 2025, maybe, or 27, about the European Union also wanted to assure that not only are you driving an EV, but that your battery within that EV was produced with, uh, let's say, zero emissions or zero carbon footprint. Sort of those types of regulations outside of the vehicle now, right, driving around. So outside of having a tailpipe or not having a tailpipe. Do you see yourself getting involved with those types of things as well? Start looking at how is a battery produced uh, for an OEM or for a customer? How is a battery maybe charged? Even even going looking into how am I charging my vehicle in, in Colorado? How am I charging my vehicle in Detroit, Florida, California? Those things? So certainly that's a topic of conversation right now. And you, you, you see a lot of ink spilled about, about that. And, and some of it is in an earnest and it's an honest way, but there's also a lot of efforts to sort of discredit or provide some sort of perceived resistance to the adoption of, of zero tailpipe emission vehicles. And so mm -hmm. we've, we've got to sort of see through the noise there a little bit, but 
Um, if, if anybody has ever lived through the 70s and 80s in California, um, they may have seen the, the brown smog cloud that sits over Los Angeles. Now, I saw the 1990s as a, as a vehicle development engineer when I was doing altitude work and had to drive down. And, and it was very, very stark. And this was in the 1990s. And it was short-lived. It lasted several hours. I think it may have been even gone by the end of the day. But back in the 50s, those brown clouds would stay for weeks and they would go all the way to the ground. Most of that comes from tailpipe emissions of internal combustion engines. Yes, there are other sources of emissions. And, and yes, the regulatory agencies are working on all fronts. But the to reduce the tailpipe emissions on a passenger car is the biggest lever they can pull for, for clean air, especially in urban areas. This is also related to CO2. And I think this is what you're alluding to is people want to now widen their scope from just the tailpipe or just the vehicle, but actually look at like, well, how did that vehicle get here and what's going to happen to it when mm-hmm. it's like, yeah. you know, they, people talk about well, the wheels or cradle to grave or things like that. And I think we're going to see that we're, we're now to the point that the zero tailpipe emission vehicle is suddenly not only feasible from a product standpoint so that industry can actually produce it, it's actually desirable from a customer standpoint. And so that is going to drive a big change in the makeup of our vehicle fleet over the next 20 years. As older vehicles die off and newer vehicles are brought into the market, that fleet retirement is going to start to show this shift to much, much cleaner vehicles. And and that's what California and the EPA are trying to do now is get us to the point where zero tailpipe emissions is a viable part of the vehicle fleet. Once we've got that down, now we can start to look, okay, let's let's broaden our, our horizons a little bit and start looking at, okay, how do we get the, the supply chain cleaned up? How can we get the recycling site? So the end of life mm-hmm. cleaned up. And there's a lot of incentives out there now for um what happens to a hybrid battery so these are these are relatively small batteries from a vehicle standpoint and they've been on the road now for 20 years more than 20 years there's been hybrids available well those batteries are nearing their end of life well now what happens well there's lots of opportunities there's lots of different companies that are springing up they're stepping into that need now to recycle these batteries whether that means dismantling and pulling raw materials out that can be put back into the supply chain or finding um, a second life for them. Uh, There's a huge market for stationary batteries where they'll fill a shipping container full of hybrid batteries at their end of their life. And that becomes grid storage. So there's a lot of talk about that. There's also a lot of movement But I think wisely, the regulatory agencies are trying to let industry solutions step in and provide ways to clean up, let's say, the supply chain and the end of life part of a vehicle life before they step in for regulation. Mm. And I think uh, Europe is sort of leading in one front as far as requiring, um, I think they have a recyclability standard that's being proposed. I don't think it's on the books yet, where if you produce a new vehicle after such and such a date, you have to have a certain amount of content that has been recycled and 
a certain amount of content that must be able to be recycled in your battery or your electric powertrain or however they're going to write it. But things are moving. Some people may think it's moving slowly, but in, in, in all honesty, there's not a lot of call for that just yet, just because the fraction of the vehicle fleet that has been electrified, even mm -hmm. partially, is quite small. If you take the whole fleet as, you know, the whole entire world fleet, it's kind of in the, in the noise. Mm -hmm. So you got to be a little bit careful about the magnitude of some of these solutions. And I don't think it's big enough yet for regulatory agencies to step in and start mandating how things are going to be done. We will get there. But it's more important now to pull that tailpipe emissions lever and get clean air possible over the next 20 years because we've had such success since the 1970s to now. In the last 50 years, you know, we're orders of magnitude lower, um, particulate emissions, ozone days. By every metric, air is far cleaner than it is or ever has been since, since before the Industrial Revolution. Mm -hmm. So... Um, we're, we're sort of at the tail end of that. And I think the next stage is going to be cradle to grave. That is absolutely the next step in regulations. And uh, through my work with SAE and you know other people in my group and projects we get from other customers, we're starting to look exactly like what efforts are being done now to either standardize recommended practices, there's UL, there's SAE, there's all these other bodies out there that specialize in standardization or test procedures or recommended practices. That work is ongoing now, but it's very, very new. And I think over the next five years, we'll start to see a little bit of maturity there mm -hmm. about best practices. And some of this stuff is going to start to come out in the sort of standards world, let's say. Okay. Okay. Maybe that's a good good lead-in into my maybe last question. If, if you If you look at... 10 years ago until today, let's leave EVs out. Mm -hmm. What are the biggest changes you have seen? Again, EVs out, that's clearly a big change. You, you've mentioned that numerous times now. Right. But from, from, from the work that you do, what is the biggest differences, changes, transformations, new challenges? Again, maybe the top three, whatever you want to use, over the last five to 10 years. Well, well so in the regulatory development over the decades, um, we've hit passenger cars first, and then heavy-duty, on-road, on-highway vehicles second, and then mobile machinery, and then you start to get into large engines. This is locomotive, this is marine, everything else. So the work done in the 70s and 80s started to hit the, in passenger cars, started to hit the heavy-duty market in the 90s. And year four which was the non-road rules. And so that was an order of magnitude drop. So a factor of 10 drop in the emission requirements for non-road mobile machinery, but it was built on all the technology developed in the passenger car market, mm -hmm. heavy duty market. So over the last 10 years, we've seen huge gains in emissions reduction in the non-road mobile machinery market. And we're poised now in the late 2020s going out to see yet another drastic reduction in non-road mobile machinery because of the success of uh, extremely low tailpipe emissions in passenger cars uh, in heavy duty. The EPA 2007 and 2010 tailpipe regs um, were 
very, very successful. New technologies were developed for diesels to bring, you know, to drop by a factor of 10 or 100 uh, NOx and particulate emissions. So that's been a huge sea change in tailpipe emissions technology in the last 10 years. And now there are just now coming on the market new rules for heavy-duty diesel. Starting in 2024, we have 50 milligrams per brake horsepower NOx for on-highway uh, diesels and trucks. And then in 2027, we have 20 milligrams per brake horsepower. Hour. Mm -hmm. That is uh, a factor of 10 lower than yeah. our current diesel regulations. Mm -hmm. Well, that's rolling out into non-road mobile machinery in 2027 also. We're seeing another drop in tailpipe emissions and the implementation of onboard diagnostics. So mm -hmm. onboard diagnostics, again, was a, was a very successful program from the passenger car world that uh, was required after 1996. And in heavy duty on highway, it started in 2010. So now we've lived with heavy duty OBD now for 12 years. Yeah. Well, now it's non-roads turn in uh, 2027. <laughs> Carbs proposing uh, diagnostic requirements for non-road mobile machinery that's coming out. So that's that's where my group is is going to be working for a long, long time. Yeah. Is we're we're probably going to shift away from passenger car compliance and certification just because it's there's not as much to do, and the companies that do it now or in the near future are large enough that they have the resources to tackle it. But in heavy duty and non-road mobile machinery, there's still a lot of very small companies that don't have the resources to tackle the US market from a compliance standpoint. And that's where my group um, does a lot of work now. And I see that in the future. That's where we're gonna provide a lot of really great experience for our customers. Okay, all right, perfect. Thank you very much, Nathan. Appreciate it for your insight here. Very insightful and very interesting for sure. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Reimagine Mobility Podcast. If you liked this episode, please subscribe and tell a friend.